Hello and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you an adaptation of a short story published in 1912. We begin with a man wishing to buy a present for his daughter's wedding. Why, of course. Adapted from a short story by James Edmund Casey. The stout, loud-waist-coasted man struck out of the swirl of the Broadway crowd and into the dazzling jewelry store of Rattling & Company at Oakland, California. I want to buy a diamond ring for my daughter, he informed the first clerk behind the polished glass counter. Doubtless you've read about my daughter and her coming marriage, he pompously went on as his thick fingers fumbled amid the array of rings. Dorothea O'Brien, you know, I'm Peter O'Brien, and he proffered a card. The clerk was astounded, for he had judged the man from appearances and manner a cheap sport or politician of the prosperous saloon-keeper brand. But Peter O'Brien, that was a name to conjure with across the bay in San Francisco. Here, in Oakland, O'Brien was known only by reputation as the lumber and shipping king of the Pacific Coast. This about hits what I want. The expensively, though flashily dressed Mr. O'Brien held up a plain band gold ring set with a handsome diamond. What may be the price of this? Two hundred and ten dollars, sir. Without another word, the portly money king drew out as portly a wallet, but after a quick examination of its contents, it appeared something was wrong. Mr. O'Brien looked up. I have only a hundred and sixty-five dollars here, he explained, and worse luck, I haven't my checkbook on me, but oh, I forgot. And he withdrew from another recess of the wallet a crisp pink check. He handed that to the waiting clerk. This is for one thousand dollars, he said. You can take it out of that. But the clerk seemed doubtful. I don't think we can cash it, he hesitatingly explained. You see, sir, it is a rule with us never to accept a check for more than the amount of the purchase. But if you'll pardon me for a moment, I'll see Mr. Rattling, the boss, and find out just what we can do for you in this case. Quickly, the clerk reappeared in the wake of a small, gray, wizened man, who was red of face and evidently angry. Look here, sir, said the little person leaning across the glass case. You sure have got your nerve with you, coming in here and trying to work off a bad check and pocket the change. But I'm too wise to fall for any such old game as that. Tut tut. I don't care who you say you are. I never saw you before in my life. But I think you... That'll do, sir. The portly man had drawn himself up, indignant. You've gone far enough. So I am trying to swindle you. I, Peter O'Brien. I'll have you know, sir, that I could buy your store ten times over and never feel it bad check. I wouldn't have offered it, only I never for a minute thought that there was anyone in business in Oakland who didn't know Peter O'Brien of San Francisco. The stranger's hurt, confident manner and his quiet repetition of that powerful name all had an effect on the little jeweler. He calmed down with surprising suddenness and, when he spoke again, it was in a more reasonable tone of voice. But can't you see it's a business proposition, Mr. O'Brien? Rattling expostulated. My attitude is only business-like and perfectly proper. Personally, I would take your word for it and cash your check right now. But that isn't good business. Mr. O'Brien saw that. You're right, he said. You're perfectly right. But just the same, it roiled me a bit to be mistaken for a swindler. Suddenly, his face brightened as though with an inspiration. Jingo, he exclaimed. I'll tell you what I'll do. I can't let you take my word for it and cash this check. No, that isn't good business, as you say. But I'll prove to you who I am, and that will show I am far above committing any swindle. His enthusiasm was contagious. How? said Rattling. What is it? This. Just this. I'm going away for a few days, up to Eureka to look over some shipments of timber. I'll call in when I return. In the meantime, you can find out whether my check is good by putting it through the bank. You will keep both the check and the ring till I look in again. Now what do you think of it?" The jeweler failed to see how he ran any risk so long as he retained both check and ring. Added to this, his curiosity had been aroused in regard to his would-be customer. For his own benefit, he wanted to determine the true status of the man. 
I guess the old fellow's Peter O'Brien all right after all, he said to himself, as he endorsed the check and enclosed it with the others for the banks. As the days passed, the stronger his convictions grew that the check was good. Why otherwise should the portly stranger so desire to have it put through and proven? Imagine his surprise then, when three days later, the check for $1,000 came back from the bank on which it was drawn, with a little slip attached which read, No Funds. Well, I see it all now, the jeweler said, communing with himself after the first shock. He was just saving his face by trying to make good on his bluff. Anyhow, I'll keep this as a souvenir of Peter O'Brien, or whatever his real name is, for I know I'll never see him again. That very afternoon, who should stride largely into the store but the smiling portly, Mr. Peter O'Brien. Well, how about that check of mine, were his first words. Rattling broke into that I-told-you-so smile so common after elections and prize fights. Without a word, he laid before the stranger the pink check and the attached no-funds slip. A look of blank amazement came over the other's face. He studied the check as though unable to believe the evidence of his eyes. Then, all of a sudden, he burst out laughing, his ample stomach heaving up and down and his broad face going red with merriment. Well, and no wonder, O'Brien exclaimed when he had regained sufficient control of himself. No wonder it came back. I asked the clerk up at my hotel for a blank check on my bank, and he gave me this. Why, it's drawn on the wrong bank. <laughs> no wonder it came back, but no matter. He drew out his now well-filled wallet and deposited the check therein. Then, he withdrew two $100 bills and a gold eagle, which he tendered amid profuse apologies in payment for the diamond ring. I guess you won't object to taking this kind of money, he laughed, and pocketing the ring, he departed. Behind him, he left a sadly muddled little gray jeweler. What in the world, Rattling asked himself, was behind all of this jugglery? That something was afoot, he felt in his bones. But what it was, old businessman though he was, he could not tell. He had an uncomfortable feeling of being the victim of an exceedingly clever swindle. It was uncanny, like a premonition of danger. But all he could do to combat it was to breathe the hope that he had seen the last of the suave, well-fed Mr. Peter O'Brien of San Francisco. Rattling was not the only jeweler in Oakland whom O'Brien had favored with his patronage, for when he called at Hatton and Jenkel's Diamond Palace that afternoon, the head of the firm, Mr. Jenkel, gave him a nod of recognition. The store was pretty full with a Saturday afternoon shopping crowd. O'Brien went to the repair counter, presented a ticket, and received a diamond ring which he had left there to be reset. He had decided to give this commission to Hatton and Jenkel after Mr. Rattling had cruelly refused to favor him with change in real money on the $1,000 check. Strangely enough, however, the usually wise Peter O'Brien had not profited by that humiliating experience. For here he was standing at the cashier's window, bill for the resetting of the ring in hand, and again tendering that scorned thousand dollar check in payment. To be sure, the check now bore the endorsement of a certain financially sound jeweler, Mr. Rattling to be exact. Mr. Jenkel, who was taking cash that day, said after examining the check on both sides, I beg your pardon, sir, but we have never done business with you, except to the extent of resetting this ring, and this is a rather large check, $1,000, to offer in payment for that service. There would be $978 change. Mr. Peter O'Brien's face began to take on that look of indignation, which he could so easily summon to his aid. He did not have a chance to speak, for, noting the change in his countenance, Mr. Jenkel went on in a conciliatory tone. As Mr. Radling has endorsed this check and put his okay on it, it must be good. It's after banking hours, as you say, and there is no other way you can cash the check, so... He did not finish the sentence. Instead, he stepped off his high seat, backed out of the cash cage, slammed the grated door behind him, and stepped briskly to the rear of the store, where there was a telephone. O'Brien's first impulse was to beat it, but by the time he got to the door, he reflected that he might be throwing away a chance to get that $978 change. O'Brien decided to remain just where he was, standing at the door. 
He had figured that it was about time for Rattling to be absent from his store. If someone else answered the inquiry, the information given about the check might be such as to make Jenkel waver and possibly cash it. A slim chance to be sure, but a chance nevertheless, and Mr. O'Brien did not find it in his heart to throw it away. If it became necessary to beat a swift, undignified retreat, he had a taxi cab awaiting him. So he stood by the door, pretending to be looking at articles of jewelry, with his sharp eyes fixed on that telephone and the man before it. Rattling, the rich jeweler but poor casher of strange checks, was an ardent baseball fan. It was his delight on Saturday afternoons to take off his collar and sweat on the grandstand, rooting riotlessly for the Oakland team. Usually, Rattling was accompanied by a man the public believed his bitterest rival, Mr. Jenkel of Hatton and Jenkel, manufacturing and retail jewelers of Broadway. Rattling was about to call up his friend to see if he were going to the game that afternoon when a call came from Jenkel himself. Say, Rattling, came over the wire. There's a man named Peter O'Brien here with a check for $1,000 bearing your endorsement. Did you endorse it? By the time Jenkel had got to his question, Rattling was so excited that he burst into hysterical laughter. Oh yes, I endorsed it, he answered, his fingers twitching so that he could scarcely hold the receiver to his ears. Oh yes, but don't you pay it, Jenkel. Don't you take it. Get me? There was no response. Jenkel! shouted Rattling into the transmitter. Do you understand? Still no answer. Then the jeweler began to rattle the hook, just as Jenkel was doing at his end. Realizing that there was not a moment to be lost, Rattling caught up his hat and tore out of the store. As Rattling dashed through the street, it all came to him in a staggering flash. It was plain to him now that the purchase of the diamond ring and the putting through of the $1,000 check was only a brilliant scheme to get his good endorsement on a worthless check. And poor Jenkel was falling for the swindle, until he had been told not to pay it. But had Jenkel heard that part of the message? Had it reached him before the connection was broken? With a cold shiver from head to foot, the little gray jeweler vaulted into control of himself. He arrived at the store and stepped forward just in time to block the way of Mr. Peter O'Brien. Why, how'd you do? O'Brien beamed. So glad to meet you again. But I'm in a fierce hurry to get to a train for Los Angeles. Goodbye. But the jeweler rattling, though a small man, held so tightly to the swindler's hand that he could not wrench away. Not so fast, Mr. O'Brien, rattling said loudly to attract attention and help. It was a close shave, but I've got you by the skin of my teeth. And I'll trouble you, he continued as a policeman now appeared at the door, before I hand you over to the police to return Mr. Jenkel his money. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of Why, of Course, adapted from the short story by James Edmund Casey, as read by your host. Be sure to join us next month for another tale of mystery and wonder. In the meantime, feel free to visit our website at auditorychronicles.com for an archive of previous episodes, as well as links to our Twitter feed and Facebook page. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie. Thanks for listening.